Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Sorry for the long hiatus. Uh, this is the New Adult Committee podcast. My name is Alex Cranshaw. I'm with Sayville Library. My name is Morgan, and I'm also with Sayville Library. And I'm Andrew Mahopoulos from the Sachin Public Library. Today, we are going to be talking about programs and resources and organizations that help new parents um, in Suffolk County and, and just more broadly in, in general. And we are joined today by Catherine Canino. She's the program director of the Long Island Parenting Institute and also a member of Project Hope or a former member of Project Hope. We'll get into that in just a second. Thank you so much for joining us, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and we are also joined by Carice Mitchell. She is the president of CLASP, the Children's Librarian Association of Suffolk County. Is that right? I'm not good with acronyms. No, am I even close? It's okay. I'm the vice president of SDLA. I'm the past president of the Young Adult Service Division of Suffolk County, and I am the Youth Services Coordinator for the West Babylon Public Library. I messed up your CV right off the bat. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, thank you both so much for joining us today. This is a, a topic that I wanted to bring up in, uh, in the committee for a while now. I myself am a new parent, and I know the challenges that are involved with that, let alone during a pandemic. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. Um, do you wanna start, Catherine, by maybe explaining what the Long Island Parenting Institute is, who you serve, um, and maybe a little bit about Project Hope as well? Sure. Yeah. So um, as you had said, Alex, I'm the program director for the Long Island Parenting Institute, which is a program of EAC Network. EAC Network is a diverse social service agency that houses about 120 different programs throughout all five boroughs, Rockland County and Long Island. And so I've been with the Long Island Parenting Institute for about 15 years. I actually started there as an intern um, when I was 10. And no, <laughs> but um, I, um, I never left because I really do believe in the mission. Um, I believe in the work we do. And the entire mission is to protect children and support parents. And so we do that by offering services that um, give parents a place to put on the table what they're struggling with um, and learn evidence-based tips and tools to help them through their parenting journey. And we do that through um, workshops and classes for parents of infants all the way through parents of teenagers. And so it's something I feel very strongly about. I'm so happy to be here to share about it. Um, and we get some great outcomes as a result of our programming. And then additionally with the um, EAC network is now a proud provider agency of New York Project Hope. And so the mission of New York Project Hope is to offer emotional support to anyone impacted by COVID-19. And so we are offering services free of charge to anyone in Suffolk County. And we do that through a helpline, through support groups. You might find us out in the community. Um, we'll actually be at the, the farmer's market near you um, this weekend, uh, just offering um, a listening ear and crisis counselors available to provide support. That's great, thank you so much. Uh, the, the workshops and classes you offer, are they virtual? Have you been doing them in person, a mix of both? Yeah, so um, prior to COVID, all of our workshops were in person. And um, that was wonderful for the support aspect, um, but also had some barriers for parents, right? Because I always say something parents don't have is time and babysitters. And so 
um, when COVID hit, we we were kind of, you know, like everyone else, left handicapped with what do we do? We knew that parents needed our support more than ever, um, and yet we couldn't get to them physically in person. And so initially what we had done just a few weeks in to the shutdown was we put out a free phone number and we called it the parenting pep talks. And we said, just call us because we're all going through this together. Um, just call, reach out, we'll be a listening ear. We'll kind of lament and vent <laughs> to one another because there's there's no textbook for, for everyday parenting. And there's certainly no guidelines for parenting in a pandemic. And so, um, you know, things like screen time, for example, you know, I spent 15 years talking about the AAP recommendations for screen time. And now I had a parent saying, my kid needs to be in front of the TV for two hours so I can get some work done. And it's like, yeah, we get it. And so being able to just be real and open with one another was such a support. And so we had that phone number out there. It went really well. A lot of parents were calling. And then during that time, we were able to take all of our in-person classes and transfer them to a virtual platform. And that's where we've stayed. And um, it's been successful in that it removes the barriers. Um, just yesterday, for example, I had parents of babies on a Zoom and everyone was feeding their babies at the same time. Everyone's changing their babies. Um, being able to do parenting while also having connection and support has been really key and crucial, especially during this crazy time. That's great. Is the phone number still live? Is it still going on? Or have you... So is the phone number is actually, it, it's my cell number. <laughs> so oh. it's still out there. Um, it's... Uh, you might get my voicemail um, because uh, there's there's still a lot of calls and work that's happening. Um, but yeah, I'll put it out there. It's the number to the Parenting Institute, which is 631-533-5055. Um, and you certainly can call and, um, and vent to us um, and we'll, we'll let you know if we have any programs happening that we can plug you into. Otherwise, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm a parent too. I get it. We all need a listening ear. Yeah, even if it's not a, a conversation, just just venting to just an open, even a voicemail helps. It's cathartic. That's yeah, it. and and I just want to add too that with um, Project Hope, you know the the other program, we do have a helpline that is available eight to eight Monday to Friday and eight to four on Saturday. And although not specific to parenting, it's um it's for anyone who's been impacted by COVID, and certainly parents have been impacted by COVID. Um, and so you can call that number to just vent and everything's confidential. Um, you won't get a voicemail because you'll get a live crisis counselor available during those times. And so that phone number is 516-510-0282. And that's open to anyone, um, Suffolk County and beyond. Um, we don't turn anyone away um, to, to vent and have that listening ear. The, the classes and the workshops that you offer are they, um, obviously you were doing them before the pandemic, so were they more just general parenting 101 courses or were they also dealing with the, uh, the mental health aspect of, of parenting too? So yes, <laughs> to answer your question, they're a little bit of both. Um, and so what we try to do is, is offer the why behind the, the parenting tips and tools that we're, we're teaching, because I find that, um, just to back up a little too, I, I taught parenting education for 10 years before becoming a parent myself. I have a five and three-year-old, and I'm also a geek for research. And so all of the, the parenting research, I would devour it and was very interested in human behavior. And it all 
is great information. And then when you put it in play with your own kids and you have this emotional um, connection that drives you to great love and great chaos, right? <laughs> then it really helps to know why we're doing what we're doing, why it's important to, to be staying calm, why we use certain skills with our kids. Um, so our classes teach um, a lot about child development. We talk a lot about brain development. I find that when parents understand um, the growing brain and the parts of the brain that are active at different times, it can help shed a lot of insight on child behavior and give us reasonable expectations. Um, so for example, we know that a toddler brain and a teen brain actually look very similar on an MRI scan because their amygdala is super active and firing. And so that means they have a lot of gas pedal. We're not gonna change that, right? We're not gonna fight that developmental waterfall. So just understanding that we can be influential, but we don't have power and control to change what's naturally happening inside of our kids' brains. Oh, I just want to jump in real quick because mm -hmm. I feel like something like when you talk about brain development and stuff, that's something that us as like children's librarians and teen librarians learn about in school. And I think Carice can speak to that too. When we develop our programming, a lot of it kind of goes, we take that into consideration that we are also like professionally trained in like knowing, you know, what, how a child's brain develops and how to develop the right programs and things like that for that. Yeah, it's, I think it's so important. And, you know, I know it's part of the geek in me, but it's, it's also um, part of what makes parenting easier. I can just say for from experience, you know, watching your kid have a tantrum and understand that they're, they don't possess the executive functioning skills to put the brake pedal on that, right? It's just not there yet. Um, so I can certainly help them through it as opposed to fight against it. And so our classes really do work um, with parents to help them work with their children, just like you do, um, to be able to meet them where they are developmentally. And so we, we do break our classes down specifically by age group for that reason. So we have a class for parents of babies, roughly up to age two. We have a class for parents of school-age children. Um, we have a support group for parents of teenagers, because I always joke that you need a support group at that point. <laughs> and then um, we also have um, a co-parenting class for parents who are struggling with co-parenting with an ex. Um, and then coming soon, just dot, 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 right? <laughs> coming soon, we have a um, class that's called Common Connected. It's a program through Cindy Goldrich, who we are now certified to use. And it's specifically for parents whose children have ADHD or executive functioning challenges. And so that'll be coming um, this summer and fall. And again, everything's virtual. That's fantastic. Do you have any, um, any resource? I mean, most of our listeners are probably going to be librarians working in Suffolk County. So I'm just wondering if you have any resources or advice for I guess specifically children's librarians, since they're doing a majority of the programming geared towards children um, and probably parents as well. Do you have any advice in terms of kind of programs they should be offering various, we'll say up to maybe, you know, school age, sixth grade, say? Yeah, I, you know, I'm always so impressed when I see the library programs coming out. So kudos to all of you because um, it's, it's something that's so needed. And I know that, you know, as a parent myself, you know, I could look at the booklet that comes home and I'm like, I wish I could make it to all of that. <laughs> but um, something that I always look for in programming with my own children, and then again, as a result of brain development, is looking for activities that are child-led. 
um, and child-centered and getting away from, you know, kind of that rote learning. Here's, you know, a very specific task. Um, and, and the reason I say that too is because I find that when parents are part of programming that is more child-centered and child-led, um, you get to see the benefit all over your kid's face when they get that I can do it feeling, when they get that self-confidence. And as a parent, it can actually be a sigh of relief because you think, wow, I don't have to be responsible for every little thing they learn, right? They're doing it on their own. Um, so I just get to be a, a quiet observer. And so I get excited when I see things like that where my kid gets to show me what to do as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought of was like makerspace programs that are kind of self-led maybe i mean for children it would be probably more like crafty sort of programs but something where the child can just make a mess and you know as long as the mess isn't happening in your house it's happening at a library that's great it's not something you don't have to clean up yeah but, bonus. Um, yeah those crafty sort of programs or something where they can just either literally get their hands dirty or just get their hands on something and kind of figure it out through absolutely just at their own pace, those kind of programs are probably invaluable. Chris, have you had any um, any success at West Babylon with any children's programs? What What's popular there? What, what seems to be bringing people in? Or virtually, um, what's getting people to register? Well, we've definitely had a bunch of success um, with our early literacy virtual programs for the older kids, the virtual programs we kind of try to stay away from since they were getting so much screen time already with being homeschooled. Um, I know that like we have a baby and toddler sign language class that's full every week. And it's also turned into a support group really for the moms because they've also, or the parents that bring them because it's the same people every week that they can go onto the Zoom with. And so it's nice, although when we were open to the public, we had like a drop and play group and like a parenting group and things like that, where the parents could really talk to each other and while their kids socialized and played with our play area. So this has virtually replaced it. And it's nice to know that there's still a little community, but for the um, older kids and even the toddlers, we've been doing make and take kits. And the parents have been loving them because it's something that gets the kids away from the screens and also is giving them something to do. Uh, so I've noticed that those are super popular. We also started a um, sensory exploration program for toddlers that the parents really love um, and the kids like it too. But it's nice because it's a little bit more than a craft. There's always an activity that goes along with it for like a two, three or four year old. So it has, you know, sometimes we'll do pom-pom, sometimes we'll do foam paint, and it's really something that um, the parents can just come in, pick up, and go home and do with their kids. I know the screen, screen fatigue has been a, something that we talk about at Sable all the time. I see it with adults, I see it with everybody, and I, I can imagine with children, it's an extra concern. I mean, before I even became a parent, I knew you know, you don't want to stick a kid in front of a screen all day. That's not good for their brain. It's not good for their development. And it's kind of just lazy parenting. But now it's literally the only way my child can see his family members is through a Zoom or a FaceTime or something. So that's something we have to try to figure out too. Um, I was going to say at Sachem, um, we too were doing lots of make and takes, but we've started some in-person children's programs, some smaller scale, like story times. 
Um, we'll do multiple sessions. So it's only like five families at a time at this point. Um, but we do also have, because you mentioned like getting dirty and sort of somewhat maker-esque programming. We have a um, outdoor kind of classroom space called Discovery Grove. Um, and we have programs that are sort of, you know, exploratory and um, it's all outside, it's rain or shine. You know, they were out there in the snow building, you know, snowmen and they, you know, more recently they did fairy houses and there's like outdoor instruments that they can kind of play in the garden. So it's been a cool space that's been getting people in and we've had programming for the past, I think few months now because it's outside and they can be more distant um, and it's really cute. And like I said, it's rain or shine. So they're out there in the rain, they're out there in the snow, um, they're getting dirty um, and it's really cute. It's really nice. We also try to capitalize on family time. So I know that for a lot of people, um, they haven't spent this much time home together uh, in a really long time. So we kind of tried to capitalize that. So we started family programs and they were like family kits. So um, we put together like a DIY pizza dough kit so they could make dinner together. We also did um, a bunch of like family paint nights and like family game nights, trivias, and those all fill as well. And it's really, it's the parents looking to keep their kids entertained, but I think it's also a really good way for them to connect as a family. Sometimes when you're together all the time, you kind of run out of things to talk about. So over the summer, we actually started, we're starting um, something called Tell Your Tale. Uh, the summer reading theme is Tales and Tales, so we're actually going to encourage families to put together, to create like a picture book about their experience during the pandemic and as a way for kids to also express their feelings and how they felt going through it now that things are kind of opening up. So that um, I'm expecting to be another popular program and a way for families to really kind of talk about this past year and their experiences. And then additionally, we're going to do um, a family crest program where uh, the parents and their kids can also, the kids are encouraged to ask their parents about um, their grandparents or their grandparents' grandparents. And we're also gonna tie our ancestry research um, librarian into that to hopefully uh, encourage some people to know about that resource. But I also think that, you know, this past year, um, a lot of people didn't see their grandparents or they didn't meet them for the first time, or it's been so long that I think it's a really good way for kids to be encouraged to ask questions about their family and also for their parents have to have a way to express their history and what they went through growing up. That's really cool. And um, as like things start to open up, I think most libraries are starting to do like small in-person programs again. And I know that West Babylon is a family place library and um, and Sayville isn't yet, but I think we're working on it. But a few other libraries in Suffolk are. Can you tell us, uh, Carice, what, a what is a family place library and what does it entail? Sure. So a family place library. So to become one, you have to go through an intensive six-week training. You have to have a librarian um, go through it. And they basically become like the family place librarian. So it's a course designed to teach all about early literacy and although the focus is on birth through like kindergarten, like toddler age, um, being a family place library really does go throughout. 
So it's supposed to extend to resources to parents, to teenagers, um, to everybody that comes into the library. So aside from the training, you also need to have like sensory and a designated uh, children's area with toys that are good for development and play and literacy. And then you also have to have a parenting collection that is up to date and near where parents can sit and watch their kids or interact with their children and also have access to resources. So on top of the parenting collection, you also have to have bibliographies and other information. You're also supposed to have something called a parent-toddler workshop a few times a year. And that is specifically for children one, two, and three years old. And in that, there's five different sessions and it includes play. There's a nutrition specialist that comes in. There's potty training sessions. Um, like somebody comes and talks about it. They don't actually potty train at the library, <laughs> um, but it talks about emotions. It talks about growing. So it's really a session for parents um, or caretakers to come to and learn about you know, the different stages of development for the child and also have access to free resources like um, a, social work, a social worker or a nutritionist and things like that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a popular program when it's offered. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't been able to be offered the past year, but in lieu of that, we have tried to, um, like I said, kind of make up for it with the parent groups, with the baby and toddler signs, and put out information and resources on nutrition and potty training. We actually recently color-coded our parenting collection to make it easier for parents to find um, when they're in a rush, books that like on potty training, there's like a little blue sticker, right? So for, um, so there's a blue sticker and then for separation anxiety, there's a pink sticker for divorce, there's a green sticker. And then we have that color coded. So sometimes parents may not want to ask, or they kind of want to just browse through and grab a bunch of books. Uh, we've done that as a way to ease it up on the parents. Something else we did to also make it easier for parents as well, because we know that everybody's busy is we started doing book bundles. So we have, I don't know about, I don't have kids. I have three dogs. However, um, I've been a children's librarian for quite a while. And I know that if a kid likes trucks, they really like trucks. Or if a kid likes Spider-Man, they really like Spider-Man. So what we did was we started putting together bundles on um, like trucks or Spider-Man or just specific characters or themes and that way it's easy for parents to just come in get all the books on monster trucks and just go so those have been those have been flying off the shelves as well you know during the pandemic the library has been trying to be a resource in a different way than we were um, when we were open you know when we were open we were this space where people could come in and kind of have their kids explore and surge and the parents could kind of you know sit down and really take not take a break because they still had to watch the kids but it was this pl other place they could go so we've been trying to do that somewhat virtually um or if we can kind of bring that into their homes and it has been popular but i am looking forward to putting toys back in the children's area and encouraging families to come in and um, experience the library once again yeah, I think we're all looking forward to that. It'll be nice. 
Therese, uh, the next podcast we'll do will be for doggy parents. Oh, I'm very excited to do that. Maybe we'll have a guest appearance woof his way in. <laughs> I hope so. Catherine, I know you, uh, the Long Island Parenting Institute has the Bright Beginnings program. Uh, I know the Bright Beginnings is, is an interactive class. Is it more focused on uh, like a one-on-one sort of session with the parent and a child and, and dealing with their emotional so, connection? Yeah, so pre-COVID, it was in person with the babies. And now it's because it's virtual, it's kind of like, you know, wherever your baby is, <laughs> you can leave them there. Um, but we've condense that into a four week session, two hours each week. Um, and what I, again, what I always try to do in our classes is to kind of get away from those areas that parents are Googling, right. To find out if, you know, they're quote unquote, right or wrong and really focus in on the whys around why certain recommendations and certain information is out there. And so with that class, we, um, the four topics that we're discussing each week, Um, The first is child development and discussing our own upbringings, talking about the way we were parented, um, what our childhoods were like, did we experience trauma, um, did we like the way we were parented, and how that all plays a role into who we are as parents, not just emotionally, but it could even be imprinted on our DNA. And so being able to put that on the table and, and hash out really our goals for being purposeful about parenting moving forward. Um, The next week, we're talking about communication and play, um, really learning about how fully human babies are from the start, right, and being able to tune into the ways that they're communicating with us, again, from the start, um, and how we can follow their lead in self-directed play, Um, getting parents away, again, from the idea that they have to entertain their babies and their children, because that's exhausting for everybody, and so um, just figuring out how to incorporate them into our world and life with um, their own interests and and, um, communication. The third week, we're talking about guidance strategies, because that's something that's always on everybody's mind as your child approaches one year, two year, what do I do now, right? They're they're too little to use, you know, formal quote-unquote discipline, um, but should I be doing something, right? That big question mark. So we get to talk about, again, what all the research is showing behind brain development and how we can guide behavior and and set a tone for our parenting. And then the final week, we're talking about all things safety. So safety from our own mental health and well-being as parents and how important it is for us to have support. Um, Carice, I love what you had said about the... um, the, the one group really becoming a support group for the parents, right? Because, you know, it's like how like we got one thing going on with our kids, but being able to show up for one another is such a huge relief. Um, you know, parenting, especially new parenting can be so isolating. And then you take a pandemic and you throw that in the mix. Um, so being able to see faces and connect with people. Um, so we talk about that. We talk about how to get that from our community. We talk about more than just self-care because self-care is again, could be isolating, right? Go for a walk, um, take a bath. Again, I'm alone, I'm alone, I'm alone. So how can we do community care? How can we safely get together with our community to gain support and to fill up in that way? Um, and I'm also a big believer too that you know, parenting wasn't meant to be done alone, right? We look at historically, it was always done in villages. It was always done in community. We needed help. Uh, we still need help. 
And yet we continually um, find ourselves in positions that it's becoming more and more isolating and more and more overbearing. And so um, just being real about that and finding ways that we can get support and take the pressure off ourselves too. Um, and then, you know, all things safety as far as um, car seats and um, household safety and, and you name it. And so we're, we're trying to find topics, again, that, um, that parents have those question marks about because um, there is so much gray area, right? There is, um, you get to be the decision maker for your family and your children. And there's very little right and wrong, quote unquote, out there when it comes to parenting because there's personalities and cultures and and um, communities involved. And so that looks different across the board, but being able to know the why and be informed about um, what the research is saying and then take that and apply it to your own parenting with your own style. Um, I have two boys, three and five, and I parent them each very differently. Um, the foundational principles are there that I believe in as far as child development and, and um, positive discipline strategies and so forth, but it looks different. Um, based on their personalities and, and behavior. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, as a librarian, I think I can speak for everyone here that, you know, when there's something we want to learn, we can become a little obsessive and just there's a million resources out there and we'll just scan everything. And when I personally became um, a parent, my child has a, a medical condition and I obsessed over it and I searched everywhere you could look to learn everything I could about this condition and I got conflicting reports and everything. And I'm just wondering, I'm sure there are other parents out there in a similar position than what I'm in. So I'm wondering what kind of advice do you give to parents who are just exhausted from all of the information that's out there? And you'll get from something that seems like um, a legitimate resource saying one thing and another equally legitimate resource saying another thing. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so much uncertainty. So I'm just wondering what kind of advice you can give new parents or um, any resources you might recommend that they should check out. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I always say you can Google yourself right or wrong about anything, right? And so where do you go from there? And I find that if you really get in on any of the research, right, it really boils down to connection and empathy, right? When it comes to our kids. And so there's a million things you can stack on top of that, but that's the foundation of all of the research and all of the um, information that is seemingly proved to be effective, right? And, and I can just say in my own personal life is, is anecdotally effective, um, is that when you respond to your kids with empathy, with support, with relationship, the, the rest is just kind of your spin and style on it, right? And so, um, you know, I can't speak for, you know, the, the certain medical conditions, but you know, even thinking about you, Alex, as a new dad and having, you know, this, 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 this um, piece of information of where do you go with it, really at the heart of all of that is how do I support my child, right? How do I show up for my child? And so I think that's what really all of our goal is. You know, I, I, I work with thousands of parents every year and I've never met a parent that has said, today I wanna to be the worst parent I can be. <laughs> How do I do that, right? Because um, it's just not who we are, it's not in our nature. Um, and so we wanna show up for kids, our kids and we don't know how to do that. And all of the information can complicate how to do that. And then it's like this judgment and what if this person sees it and you know, we're judging the other person who's parenting. And so what I find is that, you know, and through our classes, through my own research, 
um, is just boiling it down to those two things, connection and empathy. Because I think just the, the very fact that you can't control your child, right? Just sit with that for a second as a parent. You have no control over your child because you didn't birth a robot, right? You birthed a human being. And so um, you have influence. And so how do you be influential in anybody's life? It's through relationship, it's through connection, it's through empathy, and that's from the start. And so I think that that's a sigh of relief when we can really boil it down to that and know that you know we can be fully human with our kids um, and we can mess up when we bring it back down time and time again to that connection and that empathy. Um, as far as, as, um, as books, since we are all librarians, um, <laughs> I love, I love um, Tina Payne Bryson and Dan Siegel. They are my go-to authors on all things parenting. And they, um, they do a really great job of um, looking at the science with the um, brain development piece and then giving parents practical tips and tools that promote that connection and that empathy. And so a lot of what uh, we teach in our classes um, comes from their research and comes from their um, style and approach. And then we build on that. Um, also, Kim John Payne is a big favorite of mine. Um, he's the author of Simplicity Parenting. Um, one of his newer books is um, Being at Your Best When Your Children Are at Their Worst. And um, he has an amazing podcast too um, called Simplicity Parenting. And so, you know, just having those resources out there can be really helpful. I want to jump in there. I think on that topic um, of finding resources and just sort of uh, commonplace to kind of connect um, is finding a support group, like a parent support group, like we've mentioned, because um, I became a parent in kind of a non-traditional way. Um, I foster parent and my husband and I adopted a 16-year-old um, from foster care. So, you know, we, you know, so being a same-sex couple and adopting an older child put us kind of in a different place than a lot of other parents, you know, and a lot of other parents couldn't relate to that. So, but we found an adoption support group that we could find, um, get that, you know, vent to, but also have like real life experience to pull from. So, you know, and in real time too. So like, oh, we dealt with that a few months ago. This is what you do, you know, and it may not work for us, but it's another experience that we can kind of pull from and not feel kind of so lost and alone. Um, and just like, you know, there's power in, in the group. So like, you know, just pull any information you can from that support group, which is very useful, but also being, um, you know, a, a same-sex household, there are, you know, other resources, uh, and I'll, I'll say that, you know, but through the LGBT network of Long Island, they have recently built a whole families program. Um, so they do, you know, like the foster care, like affirmed household training for for the counties, if, you know, to be certified. They like have a, a gay dads meetup group. So like it was, you know, when people, you know, gay dads especially like felt uncomfortable going to maybe a story time at the library because it was all moms. And that might be a little clicky and they just didn't feel as comfortable. So to have like a space just for dads is, has been nice. And I've been going to that every month. Um, and this isn't a plug just because my husband runs that program. It has been a good program um, on top of that. But they do, there's a number of uh, family programs and it was in person previously, but it has been all on Zoom um, in the pandemic. Um, and, you know, just sort of representation of different, you know, diverse families, you know, whether it be, you know, just culturally, you know, race or, you know, sort of just different um, sexual sort of identities. 
Uh, we've created uh, 25, top 25 um, children's books of all different you know, LGBTQ families. And, you know, they do like virtual story times. So it's like, you know, queer trans people reading, you know, queer trans stories to those families. So the kids kind of connect on Zoom, but also see the story being told, you know, more diversely. Um, and so and on the foster care adoption end, there are a few organizations that people could check out. Um, AFFCNY is like the state coalition for adoption and foster care. Um, they do education and stuff. Um, Agape is an organization that does post adoption support. So if you officially adopted that child, they have many supports available for um, families in place. Um, and the support group that we, I, we had we are, we are part of is the Long Island Adoptive Families Support Group. So they, they meet monthly and um, it's been a great resource. That's great, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I'm glad you found a, a community. I know how important that is. I know an, a, one that was pretty popular in Suffolk County at the, in, speaking in libraries, um, was it the Middle Country. They had uh, a group called Momentum uh, that was meeting, I think, weekly. And they were meeting very regularly and they had a, a large group up until the pandemic. And then the organization, I think, folded during the pandemic and it's ceased. Uh, it's, I think it's been starting, slowly starting to build up again, um, kind of being self-run by the members that were there. But I'm wondering if any, Carice, maybe if you've run or seen any parenting groups at libraries before, or Andrew, if you have any advice on running these parenting groups at a library. I, I don't think I have worked at a library that's done one before, but I'm really interested in starting one. So I'm just wondering if you have any advice to share. So we've tried a bunch um, in the past. And honestly, the what formal ones never really took off at our library. But the ones that really did was um, when we had our play area open, you would see it was the same grandparent caregivers, the same parents, and everybody that would come in around the same time. And their kids would become friends and the parents would wind up talking and becoming friends. So not we didn't have a specific group, but it seemed to happen organically um, in our children's room and also in our drop-in play group. Don't be discouraged if a new parent support group doesn't work out if you try it, because I feel like sometimes it, uh, it's all about timing and place personally. Yeah, I think the same thing. They've never really totally taken off. Um, I don't know about, you know, the children's, you know, because I'm not necessarily in there as much. But I know I was part of one that we tried to start like a special needs parent support group. And mainly, I wanted to, you know, kind of offer it because, you know, those parents are finding it was hard to get to a support group, being that that child has special needs. So we were trying to like, get a group going so that, you know, while, you know, sort of like a two double header, sort of like, you know, program is going on in the front for the kids. So the parents can kind of talk in the back. And so there, you know, we could kill two birds with one stone um, essentially, but it just sort of was hard, you know, and it's just hard to just get those families out of the house sometimes. So um, that didn't necessarily take off, but I think too, like it was happened, happens organically just kind of it through, you know, being in the library. So we had also hosted, we had a um, Suffolk literacy group and like a conversation group for um, adults or I guess whoever that was learning a second language or English as their second language. And what we offered 
was we had teen volunteers come in and they helped them with homework and crafts so that the parent, if you were a parent that was trying to learn English, you could still come to this group. So we had them like in the corner of the room, we had some toys, we had books for all ages. And then the teen volunteers kind of sat with them and then they got community, community service credit. And then these parents, I don't know if it's exactly like a new parent thing, but I think something like that um, could definitely be transferred over into different groups for different programs. I just want to share too that um, I've worked with several libraries over the years and same thing is recorded, right? When you try to set up a formal parenting group, it's hard to take off because again, parents just don't have time for it. But um, we've had success with, um, I've come in and done topic-based workshops. So it's just kind of like a one-time pop-up um, with a topic geared towards this particular age group. Um, and then also I've done um, with a library where I would float around the room during playtime. So the kids play group would happen and I would just kind of float around and ask, answer any questions. So they could pull me off to the side and talk parenting one-on-one uh, -on -one, or there would be you know, a small group gathered that had the same or similar questions. Um, so we're still available for that. I've been working um, a little bit with the Middle Country Library. I've, um, I book with them to do virtual programming all through COVID. Um, and parents will, you know, come on and, and talk about topics. I'm curious to know, because it's something that I've always wanted to do, um, is a parenting book club where everyone's reading the same book and then you have, you know, an expert come in and kind of share the ins and outs of why. You're all shaking your head. So yes, you've tried that. Um, have you done that? Um, so I'm nodding that that's you... a good idea. Yeah, like just because I feel- parenting book? Yeah, because there's always like the hot new parenting book out there, right? Like everyone's like, I have to read this. This is going to, you know, save my life. But, um, and some of them, yes, they're very good. Um, so, but you can read something and then not really know how to apply it um, is what I find with parenting. You know, it all sounds good in theory. And then in person, you really could use that one-on-one -on -one coaching or, you know, group coaching to be able to talk about how to kind of get it off the ground or the pitfalls with the ideas. And so, um, so keep me in mind for that, guys, because I'd be into that. <laughs> and I've got a got my own library of parenting books because I, I love them all. <laughs> Most of them. <laughs>
So what programs, what activities, what, what can we do to attract more of the parents? So whether it's a new book group, whether it's something, you know, that they can relate to, how can we get them to stay and also realize that the library has resources for them as well? I was going to say to jump off of that too, it's good to have that communication because you can have like a program where a child can be on their own in and not with a parent and like line that up with an adult program for that adult to be in as well. So that way they're both in the building at the same time. They're both going to be there at the same time and they're both doing things that benefit themselves. I found that um, a lot of program I did in teen um, has now grown to sort of like an all ages type program. So we would do things like, you know, like a Comic-Con or a Star Wars Reads Day. And those things would attract families and they would attract 20 and 30 year olds and they would attract all these people that weren't teens and I felt bad turning them away. So we did turn it into like a whole library thing. Now, you know, like we have a whole con event that is huge or, you know, so, and then I think like, you know, Star Wars Reads will have a whole day event with programs for everyone, all ages, anyone can attend. And that gets everyone in, a family can attend, and they see all sorts of different resources that are available to everyone. Another program that kind of grew into that is like, uh, we were just doing like kind of like fine art classes just for kids, put out all art supplies, they can kind of experiment. But I turned it into like the all ages art club. And it was actually really nice that we would have families come together just to create art. And it's just like a simple program, you're just putting stuff out with a little guidance. And you know, families were having a great time together. So it can kind of definitely turn into that really easily, just opening up a program to everyone um, and then sharing the resources available. I, I love that idea. And I can just speak as a patron because I'm not a librarian. <laughs> but um, if I'm bringing my kids to the library, my mindset is that I'm going to have a little bit of a pause, right? I'm going to have a little bit of a downtime. I probably have emails in my head that I know I need to return, right? Like I'm making my to-do list in my head of what I can get done while they're in their programming. And so I think that what you would said, Andrew, it shifts the mindset, right? If I know I'm going in and it's a family program, then you're not ripping me away from my to-do list. I was already prepared and planned to be participatory. And so um, I do agree that having programs at the same time is so key, um, but also not like bombarding a parent, like with the, come over here, right? <laughs> they know it's coming and um, they'll be in a different mindset. But even you could like, but, you know, and part of it was too, like it, we had a kid, a you know, family say they had like a younger one, a middle, you know, someone in teen, they couldn't then go to the same program. So you could both, you could drop your kids off. They can go to the same program and you could then sit and do your, you know, you can do your emails, but the two of them could be together and participate. So it's, you can kind of do whatever you want, you know, either way. Perfect. And coffee. I don't know if you guys are allowed to serve coffee, probably not through COVID, <laughs> but that's a parenting must have for any group. <laughs> We have a coffee machine. I know Sachem has a better one, but. Well, actually, we don't have the, ca the cafe's gone. No. I know they closed during COVID, unfortunately. So we're looking at other options at the moment. So, But you can still bring a coffee in if that's okay. I was just thinking uh, maybe like having a children's program where, you know, the self-run children's kind of can mess around, play with Legos or whatever, and then just marketing it i'm not a marketing person i'm not i rely on morgan for more of this creative stuff but maybe something like a just like a parent vacation like mini vacation where they can just sit in a comfortable chair and listen to an audiobook or something just for an hour while their kid or scroll instagram or both or whatever just something to just kind of detach for a little bit 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I forgot to mention this, but part of being a family place library, a requirement is that you have adult seating um, where the kids would be playing or um, like stationed. So that's definitely an option too. And I know that we've started, I've started having um, some of like the um, cooler adult programs, like the paint nights and the craft nights and stuff. I started advertising them mixed in with my flyers for children's. So as parents come in and they're looking for different things, we we're putting that information there as well. So they can see that it's not just for kids that there's stuff for them too. Um, and when we do like our kickoff uh, in the past, we had done like a children's kickoff and we've done a teen kickoff for summer reading and then like adult kind of did its own thing. But now we're doing a library wide one where um, we're also encouraging the parents to sign up for summer reading, um, mostly because it's easier for them to kind of add their kids under their username to record the books. And also the thousand books before kindergarten. A lot of parents, in terms of marketing things, I'm kind of going off on all tangents, but um, when we look at our statistics on Facebook about what gets the most likes, it's always the cute little kid holding up the sign that said 500. Like it's the most proud thing that they've ever done in their life because they read 500 books. And for us, it's, we can post as many, you know, posts about different programs and things like that. But the one that always gets the likes and that really gets people coming into the library to ask for more information is the, the thousand books before kindergarten and seeing that you know, the kids are up and kind of um, parenting brags. Since you mentioned it, Carice, um, I'm just curious, Catherine, have you had any success or um, any advice on marketing the um, either Project Hope or the workshops that you offer through the Parenting Institute? Um, I know reaching out to new adults is a topic that comes up in almost all of our conversations. Um, just how do you actually reach these people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's becoming a bigger challenge through COVID um, since we're not in community as much as we were. So we're moving to virtual marketing like everybody else, putting all, all of our information out there on our social media. Um, EAC Network is on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, all of those. So we put our information out there um, through our website. Parents can directly look for, at the upcoming um, classes and register directly online. Um, through Project HOPE, and again, that's all uh, free support for anyone impacted by COVID. We've been offering a free virtual support group every day. And so the topics do change, but the, the premise is the same. We're there to support you. And so that is a Zoom link that you can join anonymously um, without having to pre-register. And so what we've done is we've added a QR code to all of our flyers and to our um, website that parents, um, so used to saying parents, um, anybody, <laughs> parents, teens, um, anyone in the community impacted by COVID can just scan it and jump onto the Zoom and get support in that way. Um, we've also been offering um, yoga and meditation through those, those um, daily support groups. And so um, that's been a nice turnout for people to jump on and do some free yoga. Um, but other topics that we discuss are grief, um, uncertainty, transitioning back to um, in-person life, right? There's a lot of anxiety that comes with that. Um, the New York Times put out a, an article about this 
this type a topic of languishing, right? This feeling that a lot of people have where maybe you're not feeling fully depressed, but we're not thriving either. And so that's a lot of what we talk about in our support groups too, of just this kind of like blase feeling that we all have is like, you know, spring's here, things are opening up and we're just like, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't really feel like doing anything still. Um, so being able to discuss the impact of that. Um, and so certainly um, get on our social media and then um, also that phone number that I put out before that 516 number is available for any information um, as is um, Project Hope Info at eac-network.org is our email for general information. All right, so we're coming up on an hour. So I just wanted to just throw out just one kind of broad topic um, and we can kind of close on this unless anybody else has any burning topics they want covered. How can libraries better serve new parents? Uh, what services and programs would you like to see at libraries? Um, what kind of organizations are out there that libraries should be made aware of that maybe aren't partnering with already? Um, but this is open to everybody. I'm just just off the top of my head, I know you guys do so much already. Um, I think that new parents at the heart of all the information that you want and want to know if it's accurate is you want community and connection. And so being able to provide a platform for that, um, even if that means, you know, just come hang with your kid, I don't know. I'm um, thinking back to when my kids were infants, like if I could just put them on a, a floor and talk to another parent, that would have been nice. Um, and so I think that the, you know, the information is so important, but that connection goes a really long way. And um, as far as resources, we are out there, the Long Island Parenting Institute, call us, um, get on our website, check out what we have to offer. Um, also important resource for new parents is um, there's a postpartum resource um, center of New York is a good resource for parents to have. Um, I'll put a plug in for the nesting place, Long Island, um, which is out in Farmingdale. They do a lot of programming for, for parents of infants. Um, and along the lines of what they're offering too is um, programs that are not just for the, the parent child, but for the parent, right? Being able to support and uh, pamper our new parents, they need it. Definitely. If are there any librarians that are listening to our podcast right now, can they reach out to yourself or the EAC to book you to do programming at the library, whether either virtually or in person? Yes, absolutely. And um, I'll include that phone number just again quickly I'll say it it's 631-533-5055 uh, is um, my cell and um, so you'll get me um, or my voicemail but I'll call you back <laughs> and um, I can set that up um, for either in-person or virtual work. Great thanks. Um, I just as a children's librarian I think that a pretty successful children's library I'd like to add um, I, what I usually do is I just talk to the parents that come in. I ask what they need, what they're looking for. Um, I know I'm kind of prepping myself to, I ordered a bunch more separation anxiety books because I think that that's probably gonna be something as people start having to go back into the office. Um, I know my dogs were not happy when I came back to work after being home for five months. So I can only imagine um, an actual child. So. We're prepping things like that, kind of anticipating, and then just really trying to get as much feedback from the community as possible. I think for me, like my pet peeve with 
some libraries and you know even within my own and, or and we've gotten a lot better with it it's just like that separation of all the departments so like you have a family come in and then you're kicking out the parents or something you know like whatever you know even in like the programs like i think being more open um and just being more welcoming um is definitely way to get a way to attract more people and then have them come back yeah i know that's something we've talked about a lot just the chair members of the new adult committee just how do you get a patron who you know who comes to the library as a child for programs comes to the library as a teenager for just to use it as a study space for school or for tutoring? And then how do you get them to not forget about the library when they turn 18 and move on with their lives? You know, it's just to, that gap, that, that seems like it's almost like a wall that uh, we hit. And then we'll get them coming back when they're in their thirties or something when they're a parent to bring them back to those, back to the library for children's programming. So it's that kind of gap right there that I'm interested in, in trying to fill at least. Yeah, and I feel like having, like Karee said, and like having more informal things or family-oriented things that don't exactly have like a start or an end time where they just kind of end up forming organically. I think those are good to have too. Like I worked at a library where we had, um, like it would be, obviously it would be like a, like a 45 minute program, but it would just be putting a bunch of toys that, are for like a specific age group, like one-year-olds or whatever. And I would just put on like Rafi, <laughs> like a Rafi playlist. And um, and then the parents would come in with their kids and it was a great opportunity to have parents socialize, interact with their child and also like have the kids interacting with other kids the same age as them and playing and just learning like those little things. And it was informal, like there was nothing, you know, we do like a quick story time at the end and a, and a couple songs and things like that. But I felt like I always had like over 50 people showing up to that program where like you'd have like more structured things and sometimes you wouldn't get like the same kind of attendance. But I think giving people the freedom to just kind of come and go as they please to some extent is also something that libraries should try and have like as much as possible especially for people new adults and new parents like we're very busy people I don't have a kid yet but um I know I don't have time to like make time to go to the library at a specific time to do a program just to say quickly Morgan I think you touched on a really key thing that we we haven't mentioned is that when you're a new parent there's so much um, everything's unpredictable, right? You're trying to get out the door to a library program. It starts at 1 p.m. and your kid has a diaper explosion. Now what? Like, do I feel weird walking into the program late? Like, do I just forget it? So having those programs where a parent feels fine coming in 10 minutes, 30 minutes into it, and then if their kid needs a break and it's nap time, feels fine also leaving provide so much freedom um, mentally for a parent. So I think that's a really good point to bring up. Yeah, and I think just in general, like the way the world is right now, um, so much is structured, especially with just everything. I mean, we're constantly on these deadlines for different things, have freedom to actually just come and go as you please, either do the craft, do not do the craft, play with the toys, not play with the toys. Um, I think that's part of the reason why our craft kits are so popular too, as opposed to like our Zoom programs, because it's something that um, with everybody's schedules, it's easier for parents to just come grab them. And then when, whether it's at six o'clock, seven o'clock, Saturday, Sunday, it doesn't matter. Um, they can get it 
done as opposed to being at a scheduled 4.30 Zoom session. Yeah, exactly. Because I feel like every family has a different schedule for how their day goes with their kids. So it is good to have like the take and makes. Like I feel like they've been crazy popular here at Sayville too for the children's department, especially. And people love something they they feel like is free. You know, like they're getting something for free and then <laughs> they get something tangible and take home. They like that. So. <laughs> I, just to add quickly too, I'm having other thoughts, <laughs> but I'm going back in time to when my kids were infants. Um, of being, and I know you all are, but just, um, I, I don't know how, where parents are, that libraries are breastfeeding friendly. And so being able to provide a space for moms to feel comfortable to, to do that is so huge. So I just want to thank Carice Mitchell and Catherine Camino for joining us on this podcast. This has been very enlightening. I've learned a lot that I'm going to put into practice as a new parent. And I'm going to call the children's department right when this podcast ends and see if we can tear down some of these silos and do some kind of cross-promotional programs. So I just want to thank you both again for joining. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Good to see everyone. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good weekend, guys. You too. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye.